I'm Dr. Farah Kamengar with the SF Derm Eczema Symposium and 100 Year Celebration. We're here with Dr. Kama Carlson. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm going to read your full on bio. That, that's <laughs> what happens. <laughs> Go for it. Happy because to be you're here. very impressive. Dr. Kama Carlson, MD, PhD, is a double board certified dermatologic surgeon and renowned expert in Mohs and advanced reconstructive surgery. She is in private practice at the California Center for Dermatologic Surgery in San Francisco where she is founder and medical director. Thank you for being on our podcast. Well, thank and you for having me. Yeah. And then one of the main reasons actually, which is right in your bio, one of the main reasons I think it was so important to have you is because you went and did the thing that everyone says you can't do now. And that is go out, start a private practice, a very successful private practice, reach success in a very short amount of time, a high level of success, and you're just running it amazingly. And I think it's sort of thought about now that most dermatology residents that come out of residency, come out of fellowship, just go and join a big group, as I have, because I took the uh, known route, as did I initially. <laughs> yeah. And it's basically yeah. this sort of like fear, whatever it is, it's just this sort of trend that that's just what you do. But every once in a while, somebody really brave and innovative does something different. <laughs> and it and it like usually works, works out probably likely. So I just wanted you to talk to us about that, how you did it. And so feel free to start anywhere you like in that journey from the, all the way from the beginning and what, what led to it or just that open the practice wherever you like. <laughs> yeah, no, certainly. So, I mean, you brought up a good point. Um, as we talked about earlier, I mean, most of us like recent grads, I'm six years, this is my sixth year out of uh, fellowship, um, especially in Northern California, you have major academic centers, you have major hospital groups, multidisciplinary hospital groups, like PAMP is one, yeah. Kaiser is one. Um, and there are just, there's so many large organizations that are ready to take on new grads. Um, they have competitive salaries. Um, if you are a, a dermatologic subspecialist, like a Mohs surgeon or derm path, there's like a ready source of referrals for you that you don't necessarily have to work for. So that's very attractive to a new grad. Um, and um, I, think, I think most of us fall into that category. It's really expensive to live in the Bay Area. You have medical school debt and you know, like all the debt you've accumulated over the course of your training. And on one hand, there's like an already made practice that maybe may not have all the things that they don't, it doesn't check all your boxes, but it has, it's good enough. And sometimes it's actually even great. And so I think that's one advantage of being where we are in the Bay Area. There's, there, there are a number of different um, job opportunities for a new grad. Um, so I definitely did that. I, I read out of fellowships. So I did my fellowship at, in Mohs surgery at UCSF. And um, I had a kid during residency. My husband is in, he's a biotech, at least at the time he was in biotech. And we, we have family in the Bay Area. So we wanted to stay. We, it's definitely an advantage living close to your family that can help with your kid. And we're like, okay, we want to be in the Bay Area. And when I looked at the job opportunities, sure, there was some private practice. There was um, academia. There was mostly VA rather than academia, so VA. So affiliated with the university, but not quite like full faculty at a university. And then there was Kaiser, there was PAMF. Um, and I remember at the time, I was like, well, I want to be in San Francisco and I want to just do Mo's. I, I don't want to have to build a practice because it just seems scary at the time. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a fear. <laughs> There's a fear. We don't really get that much um, education in, in business and medicine, um, in residency or in medical school. So there's just that fear and also uh, you also you're worried about making a living. So um, I did look into a couple of private practice opportunities, went to a few of the local Lowe's surgeons and said, hey, do you need a partner? 
Um, and I think just the way the referral patterns are based in San Francisco, um, some of them did, but they didn't have enough volume for another Mohs surgeon. So I would have had to build up that practice volume um, and do a lot more general drug, which I'm doing now. But at the time I was like, well, I, I've just, I'm, uh, yeah, I have all this training behind me. I just want to get out there and just do as much Mohs as possible and not get too comfortable um, and just, you know, like be innovative. And so that was the appeal um, um, uh, with joining a, a large group practice. There were a number, like a large number, like you can do Mohs every day if you want. My, my, my department chief at the time was like, you can be the queen of Mohs if you want. That sounds, um, that's attractive. I was like, yes, I'll take that attractive. I was like, okay, I get to do those every day. Um, I mean, I loved general Durham, but I think when you spend a year just learning and trying to perfect the craft, there's this need to want to do more of that. That's true. You want to just improve that craft improve, too. Exactly. And you you need to do a lot of cases exactly. to get to that point. Exactly. And also even before that, um, during fellowship, you know, you start out with the attending doing a lot of the cases and teaching you. Yeah. So there's a lot of like theoretical knowledge and over time you get that practical knowledge, but you, you, it doesn't feel as natural as doing it on your own, right? And so, so I had that need to want to do that. And so that's why I took the Kaiser job. It was a great job. I worked across the bridge in Marin, um, lived in San Francisco still. And um, you know, at the time, that was great. I had, I had good work-life balance. I had the variation in the types of cases, like really complex cases, easy cases, mostly complex cases. But then I got really comfortable handling those cases. And so that really just met all my needs. At some point, though, so about five years in, I actually before then, about three years in, right before the pandemic hit, I started feeling ah, just like a need for more, more autonomy, more independence, um, um, uh, being able to train medical assistants the way I wanted. There was a lot of staff turnover, um, a lot of if you needed vacation, you had to request like a, a year in advance. Um, if my kid um, had a show at school, um, and the schools are not very good at like giving you such advanced notice. They tell you like, I don't know, like a week before, like a random Thursday after, like I'm a working parent, right? So things like that, I found I was missing my skin, my kids' school, school plays and um, just wanting a little bit more independence and wanting a little more autonomy. So I think that's where that started. Um, the practice itself was still fine. I mean, I enjoyed my patients a lot. I enjoyed the work I was doing. I just felt like I needed more control. So around that time, I started looking into private practice options. Um, we looked around um, uh, for spaces in San Francisco, tried to decide if I wanted to work in Marin or work in San Francisco. I'd already worked in Marin. I was familiar with that patient population. Right. They're older, they're more, yeah. they're fairer skinned. And so a lot of skin cancer, it just felt like a natural sort of progression as to what I wanted to do. Um, but then I also had mentors. I had mentors, my mentors at UCSF were like, just started SF. Like, why start in Marin? Like, like you live there, it's closer. You live here, they're... Um, there, there were quite a few most surgeons at the time, but um, uh, one of my mentors was like, you know, they're going to be retiring soon. You don't have to go elsewhere to start medicine. You can do it here in the city. We'll support Great advice. you. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I think just having that mentor, like like good mentors that sort of are in your ear, and they it sort of feeds your confidence when you have a lot of doubt, right? So mm -hmm. that was my first thing. This was about three years in, and of course, I looked into some practice, into some venues, um, not venues, um, buildings, medical buildings, like potential uh, clinic spaces. Um, and then, of course, the pandemic hit. And then I was like, oh, it's actually a great time to be employed, right? Yes, that's great, right. It was, it was a time of uncertainty. So you're like, well, this, I'm going to stay in the most certain situation, right. which right. is probably why we choose these situations out of residence right. because of the certainty. Certainty and stability, stability. right? Yeah. You're not yeah. worried about like, you know, like people were not leaving their homes, right? And if you were, um, at Kaiser, we're salaried employees. 
And if you were salaried, I mean, yes, we had to do other, we had to sort of like change our workflows. We had to, I had to volunteer to do some telederm, for example, but I was fine doing that. I mean, there was that stability, you're still getting income coming in. And so that was the attraction. Um, at that point, I was like, oh, it's actually a good thing to be employed. And so I sort of like put private practice on the bath burner for a little bit. And then um, during the pandemic, got pregnant again. It was a planned pregnancy. Got pregnant again. And then um, took some time off maternity leave. And then when I went back, I mean, I, I don't know if you had if you have this in your practice, but there's just been a lot of changes um, since COVID. A lot more staff turnover. Yes. Being really short-staffed. Yep. And so, you know, with supply chain shortages, um, you'd order something and it wouldn't arrive. Like, it just became really onerous to practice medicine in that setting. Um, and then on top of that, now with a second kid, there was even a higher desire for autonomy and independence. It's like, how can I work smarter? Like, do I really need, I worked five days a week doing those five That's days hard. a week. It's hard to have two right. young children work five right. days a week. Right. So I was like, can I work three days a week and still do this, be just as efficient? But there are so many systemic restraints or constraints that made that difficult. And so so the, for me, the biggest push was how can I be just as productive, but on my own terms, maintain efficiency, improve efficiency, and still have good work-life balance? And once I figured out that that's what I was missing, I mean, I was spending longer hours in clinic because everybody had huge tumors and I had one medical staff, you know, I think just all of that. And I said, I could, I feel like I can, I feel like I had the experience at that time. And I think the confidence from talking to lots of people and also seeing how medicine is practiced to um, want to make that move or at least inquire more into making that move. Um, and so I did. I mean, it, there's this amazing, I mean, we talk about social media and technology. There's this amazing group, amazing group of dermatologists on Facebook and the board certified dermatologists. There's an offshoot called Derm Startup um, okay. where residents can be on there. Um, is it just like, Starting practices starting or practice, anything, really. It's really like starting practices, but anyone can join. So yeah. people who have the interest of joining a practice or starting a practice, it's called Dorm Startup. That's right? kind of cool, actually, yeah, because it's basically like if, if there's similar people like you, they're having these thoughts. Maybe they don't even know how do you go find an office space, right. the logistics. Right. Like the, you know, you use Zillow or Zillow or whatever, however right. you say it for right. home. Right. What app do you, they don't look for? Because I literally, I had to ask my friends in private practice, I'm like, how do you find a space? They're like, oh, you use this. You know, so. like, do you need a leasing agent? Do you, like, do you, yeah, do you buy? Do you lease? The like, specific. And then specific. also the other piece, you figured out all of this. You found the one big piece for me that I always think about is I'm in a big organization. Um, I like that we're in productivity because I like you. I'm like, efficiency like let me I'm gonna, i have three little kids right. i want to get in and get out exactly. if i'm here if i'm physically here yeah. a patient should be being seen yeah. like that's kind yeah. of my same mentality yeah. so we're on protein but at the same time it's sort of it's, it's a good thing because we have these really high negotiated rates so for me i'm kind of like well, i could go in prior practice but right that would lower but i think you got around that by joining so i'd love to ask a little bit about yeah. these, if, if that's okay these oh, specifics of course. Of, of course joining physicians groups right right, and, right right of course so when you got into private practice two things have to happen you have to be credentialed and credential basically means you are um, someone looks into insurance, like payer. Yeah, Insur like that. I would say to a person who, who had, just, had just had PATH do it for me. Yeah, seems exhausting. Like I know the website you have to do it. I know the stuff you have to yeah. like yeah. upload into yeah. there. Yeah, and I and I bet it's like pretty easy when you do it. it but is. it seems not easy. I think so, I think that's what so I, I realized. It's just it do is. it. Just I think do that's it. what I realized. There's a lot of 
fear. Yeah, this feel like if you were able to take the USMLE, you can do this application. You can do this application. (laughs) And so, you know, like you see those people saying, Oh, we can help you with credentials. I'm like, well, if they can do it, I can do it, right? So it's maybe a matter of time. So I didn't know how laborious it was gonna be, how time intensive. How long was it? How long was it? So Medicare is the quickest to get credential, that's forty five days. So you just you have to plan in advance, right? So so I decided to so so April, I said I found a space, I negotiated the lease and took on the lease April. Okay. Of 2020, it's been a year, so 2022, right? And then I didn't, and then of course you have to do like, depending on the kind of space you take over, my space was not ready for a dorm. It was it'd been owned by a plastic surgeon previously. Yeah. They had an operating room, a recovery room, not as many exam rooms. And for those, I needed more exam rooms. So I had to convert a lot of the office space into exam rooms, putting yep. cabinets, et cetera, build a Mo's lab, et cetera. So I took on the space in April, I was looking to leave my job by that summer and sort of practice by end of August, so a very short time. That's amazing. Um, you did a lot of the short amount of time. And, but before you can credential, you have to have a space. You have to have an okay. address. So, so you, literally you need to be like in that space, then start getting credential. It just has to be your address, your, your, maybe your on the office. Lease. You have to be on the lease. You have to be on the lease. Or, or maybe thinking about being on the You have to yeah. know where you're going to be practicing because you are credentialed as both a physician as well as where that your practice location. is located. Okay, okay. Because some physicians have no. multiple practices, yeah. right? So you have, yeah. you're, you have to be credentialed at Oh, each so if you own a second office, you have to get re-credentialed exactly. at that office. At that location. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So so, so that's the first thing. And, and I mean, through Durham, I mean, there are lots of, there's so much information. I listened to this podcast by a urologist called Private Practice Academy. Okay. And she basically like goes through that. It's on, it's on like wherever you do your podcast, right? You need to do a few series of this. Oh, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. It's amazing because she was like, okay, this is what you need. First, you need this. Then you need this. Then you need this. You might want to think about this. So just it just sort of lays it out. It's like yeah. private practice for dummies. Yeah. And so yeah. I just followed that. So first you need to credential. Then, but before you could credential, you need a physical location. So that came first, found a space. And then um, once you credentialing process. So expect between quickest is Medicare, which takes 45 days. Um, um, I'm not going to name any bad payers, but <laughs> um, expect about six months. I started the process in April and I opened August. And I think I was credentialed with everyone, but I think one major payer. Okay. So it wasn't bad. So expect yeah. between three to six months. I'd say expect about the average about six months. And can month. you see patients in that time and do a delayed billing or you just say, no, don't come you in. You like, say cover, no. I don't I mean, cover you right now. Yeah. Do so, cash so I mean, you could, you could, you could be a non-participating physician, right? You're not participating with that network. I didn't. I, I, I think I was just worried that I was going to see, actually, no, I did with some, like the one payer that I wasn't credentialing was not complete. I just saw yep. those patients and I said, we don't accept your insurance, um, but here, you know, out of network fees and they're yeah. the comparable, right? Yeah. And um, they could send a super bill. If exactly. You can send a super to, bill. Um, for some, they can reimburse themselves. Exactly. Basically. And for some of them, you know, there was, I think at least one payer that um, made the process like the contract effective, like it backdated the okay. So so there's that's, that. There's right. that there. But there are two processes. So one is credentialing. Credentialing basically means you are authorized as a physician to see patients. It has nothing to do with the contracts, right? Yep. And then once you do that, then there's contracting. Contracting means how much you're negotiating, how much you're going to get paid for your services. Yeah, and that seems like that. That's is, where the money. that's the tricky thing. Yeah. So so that's where the IPs come in. So IP is said for Independent Physician Association. So as you mentioned, when you're part of a large group or a hospital system, you have these great negotiated rates. Um, um, at, for being reimbursed for your services. And they have those greats because, of course, bargaining power, there are a lot of physicians. And if you have a major hospital or major um, um, group like Sutter, 
and you have, and that's like a major uh, hospital in that area, you want your, whoever subscribes to your insurance to be able to have access to that medical uh, provider. And so, um, but when you're a solo physician, a solo dermatologist, no one really cares about you. <laughs> and so the rates they give you are just sort of like take it or leave it. So the rates you get you are very really different. Negotiate, you can't yeah. negotiate. And you could try. I mean, I tried. Like I listened to all these podcasts about negotiating with uh, with insurance payers and I tried and first of all, they didn't even give you the They don't want to engage. <laughs> do, they, do, do, do you feel like you're losing something out by being part of an IP or it's just a good thing to be yeah, part so of? It like, depends, do you pay into it? Depends on where you are. So in the Bay Area, there are, I don't know, maybe three or four major groups. And I looked into, I called them up and I said, what, like, what do I have to do to join? And they're free. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So, so they what, should, do they do the billing and take a piece out or is that kind one of One of them does. So, so, um, so IPAs are a, a large group of physicians. Um, some of them have administrators that do a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. So they help with credentialing and they've already had negotiated contract rates with a lot of these payers. Um, so most of them, you just join, you basically, um, tell them who you are, where your practice is going to be. They do that credentialing for you. Okay. So I really credentialed with, with Medicare and I tried doing like individual credentialing with all of these other payers and I ended actually ended up doing it twice. So I started my own and once I joined an IPA, then they also credential for you awesome. as part of that IPA. Yeah. So that's one benefit. They help you with the credentialing process. Um, but when you credential with them, you're kind of limited to the payers that they have within okay, that group, gotcha. right? So yeah. it's so just to join, do it yourself or join multiple IPAs, yeah. right? That's what I did. I looked to see like who are the biggest payers in the area and I just joined whichever IPA had that insurance payer on its list. Um, and so advantages, I mean, you do have that same bargaining power. Um, disadvantages, in some cases, they want you to submit your claims through them, which if you have a, if you're doing the billing by yourself, that could be onerous. But if you already have um, like a third party doing your billing, yeah. they can just submit just it for you. So it makes, yeah. no, it makes no difference. Um, another disadvantage is that some of them do take a cut. So they take a cut of whatever you, whatever that negotiated rate is. You don't really see it. So say they've negotiated like, I don't know, 150% of Medicare and that's the rate. Um, maybe it, they would have, and say they take like 3%. So they actually have initiate, have um, negotiated a rate of like 153%. They take the 3%. They just uh, tell you about the 150. Okay, okay. So it's not, so it kind of works out still. It for works you. out. It's still, the rates are still better than what I would get on my own. Yeah. And it's not like you're paying them. It's already like you don't pay any extra fees. It's just part this of the contract. It's like amazing. I just feel like you've helped so much just demystifying it. I think that's the key because right. otherwise it just seems like this whole, right, this whole thing. I actually, we need to do multiple podcasts with you literally sure. laying out how to do it. Like, sure. That we style. And the last question we always ask is the future of dermatology podcast. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Where do you see the future, the future of uh, private practice? Do you feel a bit hopeful that more docs will go into private practice? I hope so. Or, yeah, what where, where do you can, or for yourself, where yeah. do you see the future? I of mean, your for myself, going? you know, I, there was, I had a lot of, I mean, when I left, I was like, oh man, like, um, well, before I decided I was leaving, just the thought process leading to it, I'm like, am I going to regret this? Yeah, transitions are hard. Yeah, transitions yeah. are hard. Like it was, a, it was a stable job, right? You have that stable income. You're not hustling to get referrals, right? So there is this like comfortable position, but there's, I mean, the the desire for something else or something greater right. that you feel like you feel like it's within reach because you've already sort of like optimized this, and you're like, well, I've already conquered this. I could, I could, you could do that. I could take a stab yeah. at this, right? <laughs> So, so that I think that for me outweigh, uh, outweighed the fear 
um, of, of going solo. Um, but then, and then once I started, I mean, it was, it was it, not, not tough. I mean, it's, it's a different kind of hustle, right? So what I did as a booster is I went, met all the dermatologists and introduced myself. I joined a building that has a bunch of other physicians. And so I went around to all of those physicians. Yeah. And they've been in practice like 30, 40 years. And, and they were like, wow, young people don't start practices anymore. Right. Um, They're probably wow, like, we're so proud this? of you. And they were like, oh, we will support you. So I mean, the amount of... Um, oh, that's amazing. I got so much support from yeah, our older yeah, colleagues. Yeah. It was actually very... I loved it. And so it motivated me to like go visit other people. And eventually I went to like all of the... I tried to go to as many primary care doctors in the city to just say, hey, I opened up a, yeah, a new Mose and dermatology, dermatology. Yeah. And so, so that was actually really encouraging. The amount of support I got from the older more seasoned uh, physicians who were in private practice was actually very encouraging and actually made me think, hey, I mean, if I can do this, anyone can, right? So oh, no, you I'm, are amazing though, but that's, <laughs> no, but, you, but it's very if encouraging. If I can do it, anyone can, right? So I, I, I think as far as the future, I would love it. I think having multiple options when you finish training is really good. Really it, great. It's helpful. Sure, you can join academics, you could join a big group like Sutter or Kaiser, but I would love for people to also consider private practice. And the reason for that That'd is I mean, a viable option. Yeah. yeah, a viable option. I mean, there are challenges though, right? So in this climate of like declining reimbursements, mm -hmm. inflation, I mean, it costs so much just to run a practice. Yeah. There has to be some support for private practice docs. Otherwise it just, you know, yeah. so, so joining an IPA to help get better rates is good. I mean, I would love if we started like a sort of like a derm specific IPA where all the derms bend it together. Maybe SF Derm should work on this. I mean, that'd be amazing where you just support your local, yeah. um, your local private practice docs. So I'm, I I think that, um, especially that's the next project we should work on together. That'd be fun, <laughs> right? We have the network, yeah. we have I SF mean, Derm network. I think that would support private practice um, a lot. Um, and then really just all the other private practice derms that I saw on the direct, on the um, Derm Startup Group, um, they're actually really encouraging. I mean, they do their build outs of their offices and post pictures and that was so inspiring. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm hopeful that private practice becomes a viable option as we deal with all of the inefficiencies in medicine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so at least that's my, that's my hope. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I think we're not done with this. We need to do a series <laughs> section two, sure. three. We need to literally have you lay out. That'd be fun. Uh, I mean, yeah. version. But thank I, you I so much. Thank you for coming. You're so welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me.